And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Uh, good morning and thank you all. Welcome once again, episode 139 here of The Drop Set. Happy Friday, everybody. Everybody, 7.09 a.m. Eastern Standard Time here in Knoxville. It is cooling down a little bit. I took Taz on his walk this morning and uh, was like, hmm, all right, this is, uh, this is pretty good. This is pretty good. I can deal with this. I can cope. I can survive. I'm not swimming through the humidity or anything like that. And then I realized, huh. The sun isn't up yet, and I'm wearing black shorts and a black Metallica t-shirt, and I'm basically begging a car to hit me. Thankfully, Taz is white, so uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. nobody ever accused me of being too smart. Also, funny thing, uh, today is a big day. What is today? Today is August 30th, 2019, also known as the day that Tool finally released a new album. It is out. And boy, I tell you what, I was so jammed up to listen to it already. So it's 7 o'clock. I've already had this moment. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to take Taz on the walk. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be able to listen to the whole thing, but I can get through a couple songs probably because they're longer. There, there's only like 10 tracks on this whole album. It's 80 minutes. Um, and so I'm like, you know, I usually wear these lighter weight headphones. The, they're uh, kind of the uh, clip over the ear. They're connected with a little wire that goes behind, you know, that, that style. Um, and uh, I'm like, you know what? No, no, because the sound quality in those isn't great. I'm breaking out the big mama jama over the ear ones that I wear for the gym um, just because I'm like, I need, to, I need to experience this. So I'm going to block out the whole outside world and we're going to just immerse ourselves into this. And uh, I... I pull it up on Spotify and I go to play it and immediately my headphones start giving the low battery beep and then 30 seconds in they just shut off I'm like damn it all the hell oh oh and now Taz senses I'm upset and he's walking over here it's okay buddy it's okay we do this every podcast I get upset about something and you walk over here like it's your fault I'm gonna give this poor guy a complex, I swear. So anyway, uh, I will listen to that at some point today, sooner rather than later, probably. Um, I, I thought about just skipping the podcast and sitting down and having a listening session with the with the lights off in a dark room, but no, I'm here for you. I'm committed, so I'm gonna see this thing through. Now, if this podcast is 15 minutes long, you know why. But still, nonetheless, I'm here. I'm making it the, at the very least a token appearance. So. I've got a lot of stuff to go over today. Um, some great questions from listeners, so I want to get to those. First thing is uh, there's going to be some changes coming up here soon. And I've, I've kind of threatened that before, but now it's actually going to happen. So not huge changes or anything like that, but things are going to get a little bit more structured. I had a, uh, a phone call yesterday with a marketing specialist, and we were talking about like ways to grow the podcast audience, because I tell you what, I'm a dipshit when it comes to that stuff. I have no idea. And what I found myself confessing to her, and so I will, I will confess this to you as well, is, man, I tell you what, I really kind of half-assed this thing. Like, I'm, I'm happy with the content on here, uh, but it, it, doesn't, it lacks structure, and then I, I put zero effort in on the marketing and distribution side of things. And so she's like, okay, well, the first step is to recognize that and then stop doing that. So, you know, let's supply a little structure to it and then let's put together some of those other things, details I won't bore you with, but all, uh, you know, tech, technical things that don't really impact the content or how 
anything that you hear, but uh, the the structure would. And one of the ideas that she had was, you know, you need some recurring segments that come through that you don't necessarily hit every week, but something where, oh, it's the first Monday of the month, so that means it's time for blah, 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 something like that. So I am soliciting, because I have some ideas, but I'm soliciting some ideas from you as well. What would be some good recurring segments? So I have some thoughts, but I don't want to poison the pool or anything like that. And I don't want to start throwing out ideas because that's, that's going to pigeonhole your thoughts as well and kind of steer you in that direction. I, wanted, I want you to think of this on a blank canvas right now. So um, I am open to any and all suggestions. So hit me up through any of the usual means. So once again, call, leave a message, 865 2974. You can email me, Darren at fivestarfitness.com. You can go to fivestarphysique.com or thedropset.com. Click on contact. That goes directly to me as well. You can hit me up on Instagram at Darren underscore star. You can actually send me a, uh, a message through um, Facebook, facebook.com slash fivestarphysique. I'm pulling that up right now um, because when we recorded this on, what was it, Monday? Uh, I noticed like, ooh, shoot, I had a couple of messages there. And uh, yeah, I think I missed the boat on those. They, they were old. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm officially now doing a slightly better job of staying on top of that. So I may be like a, a day late, maybe two, but not like three weeks. So uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I do blame Facebook. They, they, for some reason, they do a terrible job of letting me know when I actually have messages. It uh, annoys me to no end. So anyway, uh, yeah, okay. So I just checked here again, and I don't have any further messages yet. But you can hit me up there. That's fine. Uh, and, uh, well, I mean, that's enough options, right? I think that's plenty. That's plenty. So once again, soliciting some feedback, recurring segments. What are your thoughts? I'd love to hear them. So we will... Uh, be be seeing some of those things come in and I, I my plan is to like put a little calendar in place so it is yeah, there there is some expectation of when you can kind of uh, expect some of those things to show up so uh should be fairly predictable is what I would uh, what I would like to say so let's jump into it here um a, a few really good questions from from listeners so I want to jump in and this is a a twofer this uh, comes from Robin who is a client of mine and she said I have these questions, but they're really kind of general, so um, let, let's dig in. So what uh, what does she have to say here? So um, the, the first one is, is I, I started explaining this to her, and then I realized I was going down a rabbit hole that she probably didn't care about. And so I cut myself short. I'm like, short answer, doesn't matter. But let's go into the question, and then let's kind of back our way into that. And I tell you what, I am going to bore you with the full answer because I want you to know that there is, uh, there's, some, there's some reasoning behind this here. So she said, first, about the leg press machine. So I always thought that it had four spindles for plates on the sled because some people needed to load up more weight than what two spindles can hold. She's talking about like little pegs where you throw the weights on there. So there's um, a lot of leg presses will have two of those on each side, like one higher and one lower. Um, but lately, I've been noticing some guy dividing up the weights between the spindles or just having weight on the top or the bottom or like having two plates on each side of the bottom and then adding quarters to the top spindles. Is there a different effect on the leg if the plates are on the high spindles versus the low spindles. So I've already given you the uh, the spoiler alert answer there, which is no, it doesn't matter. So now let's break it down a little bit. And this is where I started to go off the rails with Robin. I could I could tell even though I was recording a note that I was going to send to her, like as I was recording it, I could almost feel her her eyes start to glaze over. Uh, it's like okay, this is unfair. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna subject all of you to that here. So. 
in in physics, there is a thing known as a free body diagram. So what that is is you take uh, you, you you have an object and you're concerned about the forces that act on that object. And so one of the things I did in engineering school a lot was you know everything. Whenever there was a problem that was presented, the first step was always to draw a free body diagram just so that you can get an understanding and a comprehensive look at all of the forces that are being applied to a specific object. So and as always, you specify an object in physics in engineering studies just as a point. So you draw a dot and then you start drawing arrows and lines going away from that so that you know all of the forces that are acting on that. For example, I have a box on the ground and I am trying to push that box uh, across the floor and I am applying force directly at the middle of that box. So not at the floor, not way up at the top where I might be like more inclined to push it over, but right in the middle. So if it's 20 inches tall, I'm applying it 10, inch, 10 inches off the ground. So a force being applied to that box is a directly horizontal force at that point and at whatever strength, you know, 200 newtons or whatever, however hard I'm pushing it. But then the other thing, because, uh, th that is, all well and good, but there are other forces acting on that box as well. The main one being gravity, which would be pointing straight down at 9.8 meters per second squared. So every object, pretty much without fail, has to have that force applied to it as well. So I'm not just pushing a box uh, uh, that weighs a certain amount across a floor. Uh, I'm pushing that, but also there's a a force that is perpendicular to that, which is gravity, which is you know aiming to to which is pulling the box into the ground basically. And then you also have a friction force, which would be going the opposite way, which is you know, like you know you'd use the static uh, uh, the uh, what was it the coefficient of static friction. There you go. It's been a while um, for cardboard on carpet. That is something that is measurable, and so you can figure out how much force or resistance is being applied against the direction I'm pushing based on those two things. So. Um, uh, coefficient of static friction exists for all kinds of materials like rubber on concrete or rubber on asphalt is a big one for tires. Um, that is a big thing that you have to know if you're designing roads and you're trying to uh, like an exit ramp for a freeway. You know, that thing is curved, but you also notice like the road is tilted a little bit. That super elevation um, is at a specific angle for the radius of the curve, but also specifically designed um, for the coefficient of static friction of rubber on asphalt so that they know how slippery is that going to be. So there are forces that apply. In a, it's, okay, this is turning into engineering school. I didn't want that to happen. But if I was going to draw a free body diagram of this leg press, um, I would draw the what I would really do is draw the sled as a point. So if we want to really oversimplify it, we draw the sled as a point, we draw a, a force going straight down for gravity, and then we would draw a variable force also going straight down, which is the weight that gets loaded on. And one of the things, I mean, this this sled is a, uh, is a, what would I call it, a fixed body. So like there are no moving parts on the sled. Like the sled is a piece of machinery that goes on these rails, and there you go. Um, so because of that, you're able to reduce it to a point, and therefore all of the weights that you would add onto it, regardless of where you put it, they all act in the same direction, and they all have the same forces acting on them. Now, if there was something funky here, like let's get creative, and let's say that we had a leg press where the sled was hinged in some way like the sled itself that you put weights on like it had moving parts on it and it, it came apart and it bent and folded in weird ways then okay we probably couldn't represent that just as a point but since it's one fixed object with no moving parts then we can so 
the you, you might have if you were to draw if you were to take a photograph of this and print it out and then draw your free body diagram on this with arrows specifically acting you know, on on specific parts of it you'd still have gravity going down on the whole thing you'd have one spindle that has a a, a a variable load pointing down as well. You'd have the other spindle that has a variable load pointing down just because we don't know what weight you're going to put on this thing. But in the end, it doesn't matter. Um, they, they're all acting in the same way. They all have the same forces acting on them. And so that force is gravity, but then also the push from your legs, which is coming from a 45-degree angle. So there's a horizontal and a vertical component to that. But also your reference point is tilted a little bit because usually you're leaning back a little bit. Your seat is pointing upwards. So... Um, and the sled is kind of designed to be pushed. So you could almost take that 45 degree leg press and turn it so it looks horizontal. And instead, gravity is going to be pointing 45 degrees down to the left. So um, all that to say, it really doesn't matter. So <laughs> you can you can put the weight on there anywhere. So you can like have somebody you'll, you've seen douchebags do this before where like, I'm so strong. I maxed out the leg press and then I need somebody to sit on top of it as well. Yes, same thing. Doesn't matter. Just great. They're just another another arrow on the free body diagram, pointing down the same direction. Uh, you could throw. You've, I've seen people throw dumbbells on there. Same thing. Now, another, one thing that would be different is if you uh, took those uh, spindles and put a resistance band on those, and then had some way to attach those like behind the seat. So now you've got a variable resistance force that is moving in a completely different direction. So that changes things, but that's not what we're talking about here. But that's what it would take in order to, on a, a machine like this, a machine that, let's be very clear, is designed for simplicity, uh, to really ch change things up in any kind of appreciable way. So um, what, what an exception to this uh, would be there are some machines that are designed, and if they are designed this way, they will tell you usually, uh, th that are designed that have multiple, I, I like Robin's word, multiple spindles where you can put uh, weights on in different places, and it is designed to do different things. Uh, the, the only example I've ever seen of this is there is a series of plate-loaded equipment put out by Strive, who is an equipment manufacturer, I want to say probably in the 80s. Um, I wonder if I, if I Google that here. Um, if I Google Strive... Gym equipment. Okay, it's the fifth autocomplete here. Let's see. Um, Pro Gym Supply. This is probably like a used equipment manufacturer, used equipment reseller, I'm assuming. Well, it looks like they, they have, they might have new stuff. I don't know. Yeah. So um, do, now, do they have anything plate loaded? That's the real question here. It looks like they have six machines. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Although, I tell you what, this looks kind of newish. So they have a, a tricep push down, which I've used this machine before. That's good. Um, a shoulder press, a leg extension, lateral raise. I have not used that lateral raise before. That would be brutal. Uh, chest press and a preacher curl. Let's take a look at the tricep thing just because I've used this one before. I want to see if it's the same one. Yeah, it is. It is. And... Yeah, so can I get a larger picture here? Not not a good one. Not a good one. But okay, so th there's uh, 
Strive makes selectorized equipment. They also make plate-loaded equipment. So the idea being, they give you options on this machinery, and this is why th this stuff is older. This is not new stuff. Um, they're, they're they're reselling used stuff, but they have photos of it new. So, um, which is why they only have six pieces here because those are the only six uh, used pieces that they have. So, um, I don't know when these guys were in their heyday and when they disappeared, but uh, clearly there was not a market for complex gym equipment that required thought to know how to use so um which is too bad because the stuff is phenomenal the idea being they would allow you by using a little lever on the selectorized machines um to overload the beginning range of motion of the movement or the middle range of motion of the movement or the end range of motion of the movement so you are doing a lying leg curl this is one of the machines that of theirs that i use that i really loved um and you find like okay i uh, the the start of the movement is fine but i am really really struggling to get full flexion of the knees and a really good squeeze on the hamstrings at the end okay well, what you might want to do then is drop the weight a little bit and then overload the start of the movement. So that part still feels difficult even with the reduced weight, but then you've got a chance to really like get a hard squeeze on the end there. Or if you're in a movement where it's like, man, the the this preacher curl is is feeling really good, but you know, like that stretch position is really hard, but then when I bring it up to the top, I just I want a little bit more resistance up at the top so that I can really feel like it's a more consistent level of difficulty throughout because it feels easier up at the top for some reason and just your your strength curve can change throughout the range of motion of an exercise so you can find you know, ever notice like man these squats feel feel really really good and productive on the negative but then when i'm going back up it just feels excessively difficult same kind of thing it's because you're you're stronger in the eccentric movement than you are on the concentric that's okay um so on the strive equipment for the preacher curl then you could overload the end of the movement to make that feel heavier. And it does that simply by adjusting. Um, it has a, a special cam. Uh, the cam is the thing where if you've got like a strap or a cable that works through the machine that connects to the, the, the handle to the weight stack, on every machine it passes through a cam, which is just a you know, typically a fairly circular uh, piece of metal that uh, accommodates the cable or the strap and gives it something to bend around. Well, the shape of that cam is everything. And that, again, we're getting into physics here. I'm not going to go too deep into the weeds. Um, but that really, really, really impacts where the movement gets difficult based on the shape of the cam. And so what this little lever on the machine does is it gives you an option to change the orientation of the cam, um, which is honestly brilliant. And it was really well done in these machines as well. So um, they're great. It's just they're so hard to find, these machines. Um, there's a Gold's Gym over at East Town Mall here in Knoxville, which if you're familiar with Knoxville, then you know that, you know, first of all, you're saying, wow, there's a Gold's Gym in East Town Mall, to which I say, yeah. And it's probably one of the best gyms in town. They're loaded up with this stuff. But also, East Town Mall is like, that's the part of town you go to if you really just want to be adventurous, maybe get shot at. You know, that, that it's not that bad. But it, it's uh, it's definitely kind of like a mm, dicier part of town going out east there. So, um, nonetheless, I've gone there many times. Um, not since I moved, just because now it's like, man, it's almost a 40-minute drive to get out there. Before, it was about a 25-minute drive. That was still a little too long, but it was worth it on some days. So, uh, it was a great, great facility out there. Really like that. The problem is you enter on the ground level, and then you go downstairs for all the weights. And, man, after leg day, 
that's a long flight of stairs back up. It's about 30 steps. Whew, that's rough. That's rough. They break it up. They've got a couple landings in there, but still, that's a, that's a tough sell. Um, so anyway, uh, oh, and, and then also the plate-loaded version of the Strive equipment. A little bit easier because then uh, instead of having a cam, the idea here, because you've got this, you know, we'll call it an arm. Um, so imagine you've got a leg extension machine. Um, and you're sitting there, you've got the little thing that you stick your uh, feet under in order to move it. But then on the other side of the machine, like the outside part of the machine where you put the plates on, that whole apparatus out there, it has three different spindles, um, which are positioned differently. And because it's moving on a pivot um, and not a sled on rails, suddenly this free body diagram changes as, the, um, as you go through a rep. Uh, so the load changes dramatically. So you can, you know, put everything in the middle spindle or you can put it up high, you can put it up low um, and based on the shape of that. So instead of the shape of the cam, this piece of metal is curved so that uh, different loading points will provide uh, different, uh, what, different accents uh, throughout the full range of motion. So you can overload a leg extension right at the beginning in that stretch position, or you can overload it right at the end, or you can throw it all in the middle. Um, and I say they're usually easy to use, um, or they will be labeled as such. Like if, if where you put the weight really matters, it will be labeled. Except on the, the they have two or three um, Strive plate-loaded leg machines at the gym where I go, but they're old, and all the uh, plates with the information have been removed. So you have to be mindful of that as well. So uh, there's no identifying marks on them at all, actually. I just know what they are. So uh, anyway, uh, all, all that to say, that was an awesome question, Robin. Thank you. And any chance I get to talk about physics, you know I'm going to geek out and I'm going to do that. So Robin continues here, and she says, second... I have a question about erythritol, and uh, as soon as I saw that, I immediately said, oh, fuck. She continues. Now, this one I have Googled, but I want to know your specific answer for tracking purposes. Time out. To which I said, oh, double fuck. Damn it. Okay. I'm going to have to do this, aren't I? She continues. So I noticed on a flavored sparkling water drink that is sweetened with stevia, erythritol, and monk fruit extract that we have at our house that it used to say zero calorie, zero carb. Now it says zero calorie, 18 carbs. And in the carb breakdown, it says zero fiber, zero sugar, 18 sugar alcohol. So I understand the product labeling and the thresholds that the FDA allows. Kudos. And I also learned that erythritol doesn't affect the body the same way other sugar alcohols do. Kind of. And it has fewer carbs per gram. But what do you see as the net effect of this ingredient? It's probably more like six calories. Um, and then she continues, I heard you talking about alcohol is the fourth macro. And I know sugar alcohol is different than alcohol. But it got me thinking about whether you would track those carbs or not. Great, great question. And the reason I'm not looking forward to this is because I've avoided this question for so long. Um, just because it's one of those. And we're actually going to get to another one of these momentarily here that just fall into the oh fuck category of questions. Like I, I hate thinking about this stuff just because there, there's an easy answer. That's a total cop out. And it's just the one that I've always preferred, but now we'll dig into the weeds here. The easy answer is, you know, if you're relying on that on a regular, as a regular thing, just don't, um, you know, cause the, it's probably not great. So skip it. Same thing. I always tell people about quest bars because they're really high in fiber. How do you track that? I'm like, if you're relying on quest bars as part of your, uh, part of your regular dietary lineup, just don't. Uh, and, and part of that is because the math is just shitty and it's a pain in the ass and there isn't really a good answer for that. The other part of that is 
those are pretty low quality, and it's not a food that I'd really want somebody who's serious about what they're doing relying on on a regular basis. Um, and th- that's the thing about protein bars specifically is they're typically just crappy. They're, they're low-quality protein sources. The macros usually aren't great. Quest bars aren't bad, but also um, you have enough of those things. And let me tell you, man, they get pretty damn gross. It's at the point now where it's like I, I can barely even look. I see them in the grocery store, and I have this kind of gag reflex reaction. I used to think they were cool, and they were great, and now I'm like, ugh, no, no thank you. So anyway, erythritol. So let's dig in. Um, the I got too much stuff open here. Where do we go? Here we go. So a, a few things to um, – what, what is a sugar alcohol? I mean, it, it's an alcoholic construct as far as uh, chemicals are concerned, uh, chemistry is concerned. But, no, you're not going to get drunk on it. It is, uh, it, it is not alcohol in the sense that we th- really think of. How many carbs uh, per gram? is Well, it's zero. It, I mean, it is it, – it, it, I'm sorry, how many calories per gram? Um, it, it is zero calorie. It truly is. So um, there are – well – and that's where it gets tricky. Like you, you have to consider something like fiber, which doesn't get digested. So that's where the whole concept of net carbs come in. You know, do you count the fiber because, you know, you're not digesting or processing or absorbing the calories from that. It passes through your system. So do you count it? And typically I would say, well, yes, but no. Um, and we'll get into that more, more, uh, in, in detail here in a second. Uh, the, thing with sugar alcohols is it's very much the same. You know, your body doesn't know how to process that. So, um, it is resistant to digestion. So they do act kind of like fiber. Um, now because of that, I am fairly comfortable not counting it. I'm also saying that on a regular basis, if you're having something that contains enough sugar alcohol to where it makes a really big impact as to whether or not you track it or not, probably not a good practice. An example would be a sugar-free syrup that I use, and I use it daily, um, and it contains some sugar alcohol, yes. Um, But I'm using such a small serving of it, it's like three grams of sugar alcohol. At which point, do you track it or not? Well, it really doesn't matter because it's three freaking grams. It's just not going to make a big enough impact to matter. So, therefore, I don't track it because it's probably close to zero anyway. Um, so, you know, as, as far as the caloric impact, which is really what matters. I mean, th- this is the one place where there's kind of a disconnect between your macronutrients. And, and in this case, we would consider, you know, if alcohol is a fourth macronutrient, we'll consider sugar alcohol a fifth macronutrient, which I don't necessarily think is fair. But for argumentative purposes here, we'll consider that. So uh, it, it's... It's one of those things where if it, if it's not zero, it should be close enough to zero that it doesn't really matter. And also, how many calories per gram is a sugar alcohol? Well, it's kind of a, as far as I've been able to find, it's a fairly impossible question to answer. Um, and and I, I think it's safest to assume that it is probably close to zero, maybe one. So um, that... Uh, uh, drink that Robin mentioned that says it's 18 grams of carbs, but 18 grams of sugar alcohol and still zero calories. I think that's probably correct. So my concern, uh, and I, I am comfortable saying, okay, if that's a one-off and she said, you know, often I will uh, use something like this, uh, you know, in place of a glass of wine or something like that, if we're having people over or something, which I think, okay, cool. That's fine. And I also told her, I'm like, you know, with, with the phase that you're in right now, you can have a glass of wine. Don't, don't feel like you got to kill yourself or anything like that. But, um, 
and that's not true for everybody. It's true for her, not not necessarily for everybody. We've talked about that very recently. Uh, so the the other question becomes, uh, I, I'm like totally comfortable with you not tracking that. We we can assume that's zero. That's great. The other question is, how does what kind of an impact does that have on your stomach? Um, because sugar alcohols are fairly notorious, not universally so, but a lot of them, because there are several sugar alcohols, um, they're fairly notorious and have a reputation for causing stomach upset just because the, the body doesn't know how to digest it and process it. So it ends up in the large intestine um, where it can cause issues. You know, It can create gas, stomach discomfort, diarrhea, any and all of those things. So the usually erythritol, and xylitol are, are the two that are typically the most known to not really cause any significant digestive issues. So just breaking down the whole lineup here, um, there's erythritol, mannitol, lactitol, sorbitol, xylitol, maltitol are the, the typical sugar alcohols, the most common ones. There may be others, but those are the only ones I'm familiar with. Um, and some of those are certainly more common than others. Like xylitol is almost always going to be the one that's found in chewing gum. Um, sorbitol is fairly common, but erythritol is probably the most common of them, um, simply because it, it doesn't really have a whole lot of digestive problems associated with it, which is great. So we like that. Um, maltitol is one that typically has more, uh, uh, digestive impact in a negative way. Holy crap. There's a giant possum crawling down this tree outside. Um, that is hilarious. I've never seen that before. Sorry. squirrel almost literally easily distracted um that's funny it, it was eerie i'm like that is the biggest squirrel i've ever seen oh wait that is a possum okay once again i'm an idiot um where where was i sugar alcohols oh yeah another thing to consider here is um the glycemic impact you know how how much are these going to impact your blood sugar if if you're if, if you're a person who has to monitor your blood sugar this is going to have a huge impact if you're a person aka a bodybuilder who should probably be cognizant at least of how these things are impacting your blood sugar it's good to know um erythritol has no impact at all none um, maltitol has a pretty significant impact. You know, it's about half that of plain sugar, which is really high. Um, so it's like, man, for a sugar alcohol, I mean, the whole one of the whole points is, you know, we, we get less of a blood sugar response. So we get less of one from that for sure, but not not insignificant. I mean, it's still pretty pretty up there. Um, xylitol is low, but again, it's not zero. Um, erythritol is zero. There's no impact on that at all. <clears throat> so. Just good to, to be um, cognizant of that at least. So um, the, the, and the other thing, and this is, this is worth knowing also, xylitol, really bad for your dogs. So don't give your dogs gum. So um, <clears throat> for, for dogs, even though, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in humans, um, you know, it, it has a, it's, it's very low GI. So it has, it, creates a very minimal blood sugar response but in dogs it creates a much larger one so it can really cause their insulin production to go nuts so um it's uh yeah keep it away from dogs don't let your dogs get into your sugar-free chewing gum there you go so anyway robin that was a great question i appreciate you encouraging me to pull the band-aid off and actually tackle that head on so hopefully that helps i would uh i i stand by my um my, pr my previous stance that 
Yeah, something high in sugar alcohol, I just wouldn't make a habit of it, uh, a daily habit of it. But nonetheless, uh, depending on what it is, uh, you have to look at what the sugar alcohol is. Um, I would say usually, unless it's maltitol, I don't think you need to track it. Um, and uh, you do in that case simply, I think, because it is, uh, e- even if it doesn't get processed calorically the same way, I think the impact on your blood sugar is such that we should probably treat it as though it's getting absorbed in some way. So, uh, but also foods with high maltitol content, I can't think of any off the top of my head. So probably a non-issue there. I think you're, you're mostly comfortable just as a one-off here and there, not tracking it. Really good question. So let's take the follow-up to that now. This comes from, uh, Greg, uh, via the website and he had a good question as well. Uh, and uh, as, as, I failed to do with Robin, but I will try to do here. I'm going to try and read this question without interjecting my commentary along the way. So, quote, <clears throat> sorry, the, the clearing of the throat was not part of the quote. So let me try that again. <clears throat> quote, my wife bought some new low-carb tortilla wraps, which are quite tasty, but the macros don't add up to the total calorie content. If you Google La Banderita Carb Counter Whole Wheat Tortillas, You can find the product I'm referring to so you can see for yourself. The macros are as follows. 1.5 grams of fat, 11 grams carbs, 4 grams protein, and the nutrition label states that one wrap is 50 calories. However, the math is bunk. 11 times 4 plus 4 times 4 plus 1.5 times 9 equals 73. How are they getting to 50 calories? I've emailed the company, but they have not responded. Have they found a loophole in human nutrition? How would you count, how how would you calorie count these in your flexible diet? Note, regardless of 50 or about 75 calories, they're actually pretty good and don't rip apart like most other low calorie wraps. Greg, great question. And again, my standby answer has been one of don't rely on super high fiber um, items uh, like Quest bars are the ones that most commonly come up. Again, not necessarily because they're bad foods or anything like that, but man, it really does fuck up the math. It really does. So the way that I always approach it, and we'll get to the math and how they did it here, um, part of this, it, it depends on who is setting your macro targets. If I am setting your macro targets, I am providing numbers in terms of total carbs, not net carbs. So you might see a plan from me that says, you know, your carb total is 200 grams. Your dietary uh, fiber goal is 24 grams. That means that your your net carbs would be 176. But I'm not giving you that net carb number. Why? Because most commonly, um, you're going to see labels that look like this. But the problem with uh, high fiber foods is that oftentimes there isn't a lot of consistency in how these are labeled. So let's let's look at this here and um, let, let's break it all down. So what we have here, and I'm going to do some math off the, uh, I'm going to kind of fly by the seat of my pants here a little bit. So um, I, I found this product that um, Greg is talking about here. I found it on Amazon and it's what? $13.40 plus $8.69 shipping. Holy crap, for eight tortillas. So that comes out to about, what, $2.75 per, something like that? Mm. Yeah, but Amazon is a shitty place to buy food from. Um, I know that I've I've sent some people there to find cream of rice if they can't find it in their store, and it's like $8 a box or something like that. Like, yeah, never mind. Not worth it. Uh so the the numbers that I find here are different. So the protein and the fats are the same, but um, Greg, the 
things that I found, it says carbs are 16 grams, um, not 11. Now, it does say it has 11 grams of fiber. So what you'll notice here is like for fats, it says total fat, 1.5 grams. And then there's two lines that are in, indented below that. Saturated fat, zero grams. Trans fat, zero grams. So we know that those are a subset of your total fat. Those are types of fat that could be contained, and they are putting those both in as zero to show that it doesn't contain any of those fats that are commonly thought of as bad. Same thing with carbs. So <clears throat> it has total carbohydrates, 16 grams, indented below that dietary fiber, 11 grams, indented another layer below that soluble fiber, zero grams, insoluble fiber, 11 grams. Also, also worth noting, soluble is spelled incorrectly on their label here. Uh, and then uh, back just under one level of indentation down below carbohydrates is a sugar zero grams. So you can say, okay, great. Well, this is high in fiber. Uh, 11 of the 16 grams of carbs are fiber. And of those 11 grams, all 11 are insoluble. Okay, great. And there's no sugar in here. So what this means is this is a product that has five net grams of carbs, 16 minus 11. So the total carbs minus the fiber gets you the net carbs. So then you're saying, okay, well, should I track? Um, should I track all that? Well, it depends on uh, what how, how your macros are being presented. So I would present your macros as total carbs, which means you track this whole thing. Which means, man, okay, I, I'm this only counts for five grams of carbs, but I am using 16 grams of my daily carb allowance for this. Is that worth it? Um, and that's the question you have to ask yourself if you're going to have like a quest bar or something, because it's going to be labeled with like, you know, 24 grams of carbs, but you're only getting like, you know, seven or eight of those. So you're kind of uh, losing more than you would otherwise. And, and the, the upside of that is, yeah, but that gets you a lot close to your daily fiber goal. The problem is the daily fiber goal is not really a hard goal that I really care about. The fiber is not something where I need somebody to track that on a daily basis. But if somebody comes back to me and says, Man, I'm really constipated. I'm going to say, well, let's look back at your fiber for the last handful of days and see where it's at. Um, and we'll use that as a starting point. So uh, you could say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm using more of my carbs here, but I'm getting closer to my fiber goal for the day. The problem is we don't really care so much about that goal. So it's kind of an empty victory. It's kind of hollow. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that still, yeah, we have to count all those as total carbs. So uh, that is how I would track it. Now let's dig in a little bit on the math here and see how they arrive at these numbers. So um, if we take the total carbs, 16, and we subtract the fiber, 11, we're left with 5. So um, now the formula, which Greg knew, and I'll re restate it here, um, if you have the macros for something, it's proteins, it's carbs, and it's fat, you can determine its caloric value. So uh, what that means is uh, you take your protein, your grams of protein, multiply that four by four. Your grams of carbs, multiply that by four. Your grams of fat, you multiply that by nine. So here, we have five grams of carbs. We have four grams of protein. We'll add those together. We get nine. We multiply that by four. We get 36. We have 36 calories contributed from carbs and protein here. So then fats are nine, gram, nine calories per. We have one and a half here. So we're getting about 15-ish, something like that, 14, 15. Add that to the 36, boom, that's how we get 50. So it, it is a little bit of creative math there, but I think it's also fair and valid. And one of the things that I do when I supply macros is I say, here's your target for protein, carbs, and fats. And then here are the here here is how many calories that comes down to. And so... 
I'm worried that the only reason I, I put calorie numbers in a plan at all, because I don't want somebody trying to track to that calorie number because it is going to be off because of fiber. And I've talked about that before. And now we're getting the big, long explanation as to why. Um, the, oh, how do I want to say this? The number that I present for calories, um, is based on a net carb philosophy just because it doesn't usually make a big difference. But when we get down to like low numbers towards the tail end of a prep, yes, it is not uncommon for a prep to be, you know, if you're a woman to be down around 1150, 1200, 1250 calories. Well, I like that number to be an accurate reflection of how much food you're actually processing. If I didn't count fiber into that, then you might be at 1150 calories, but really getting more like 1275 or something like that. Or, or, you know, without counting fiber, it would look like you're getting 1275, but really it's more like 1150 because you're not processing any of that fiber. So that, that's a, that's kind of a gut check for me. Like, you know, I, I look at that number and I'm, I ask myself, hmm, am I comfortable with how low that number is with where we are in prep? And that, that is something that I will, I will gut check myself on regularly. So uh, that's why I include that number. And that's why I include a net carb philosophy when I calculate calories. Just because, yeah, fiber, it, you don't process and digest that the same way. So I, I don't count that towards your calorie total. I do count it towards your carb total. Um, but, you know, car carbs and fiber are separated a little bit. But I'm providing a total carb number. So now your coach um, may do things a little bit differently, and that is fine. Neither way is correct or wrong. They're just different. They're both correct as long as um, the person providing the numbers understands the rules, understands this is a variable, um, and can take it into account. Now, there's another thing to talk about here, and I just it just space. Oh yeah, the, the the labeling irregularities on some of these things. So this this food I think does it correctly. I have seen other foods labeled in such a way. <clears throat> this is where things get really really complicated and screwed up, and I start to just get angry at the world. So there are other foods. Hold on one moment here. Ah, uh, the. Uh, <clears throat> the harshness in my voice was starting to bother me too. So there are some foods where, okay, this has 16 grams of carbs. It has 11 grams of fiber. So there's five grams of net carbs. I have seen labels where it says carbohydrates, five grams, fiber, 11 grams. That is not how this works. That, that is incorrect, but I've seen those labels anyway. Um, just because fiber always needs to be a subset. I mean, the you are supposed to supply the number as total carbs. And when your carbs are less than your actual fiber, it means you're actually showing net carbs. So that's just something you have to do a quick gut check on and run that through your BS meter. If you find a high fiber food and you're checking the labels, just look to see if the carbs are lower uh, than than what the fiber is. And if so... Uh, they, they done screwed up and that's going to mess up your macros big time. And what you need to do then, if you're going to have that is create a custom entry and plug in the correct numbers, which is you take the, the net carb number that they're providing without really saying that's what it is. And then add that to the fiber to get the total carbs. So there you go. More than you ever wanted to know about how to load a leg press, sugar alcohols and dietary fiber and a nice, concise 43 minutes. Oh, I need a drink. Uh, let me see. There are other things here. I have a couple of messages, actually. I'm going to save them. 
I'm going to save them. I have, I have other really good questions here. So, um, I am very, very thankful, however, um, to, uh, to Greg, Robin, great stuff here. Thank you for that. So I'm going to hold on to a couple of these other things here. Um, and just do a quick, uh, a quick media check in here. So, uh, I know I mentioned that, uh, the tool album is out today. Um, I am very curious to hear if anybody's listening to that today, share your thoughts, please. I want to know. I, I really do. I really, really do. Um, I, I, I've listened to the first track fear inoculum, which is the title track. Listen to that many times. And I got the first 30 seconds of the next track, which is called Numa. Um, and I could already tell, like, okay, this is going to be awesome. And clearly, I am biased. You know, Tool could collectively just fart and belch into microphones for 8 to 10 minutes, and I would probably think it was the best thing ever. So I, I, am, not a, I am not a fair audience. Um, I am absolutely biased in their favor. But you know what? They have earned that level of bias as far as I'm concerned. And I, I can already tell they're not letting that down just based on the few things that have been released from this album so far. Everything sounds top-notch, really, really spectacular. So I'm excited to hear that. Uh, and then a quick follow-up. So <clears throat> we, uh, we finished season one of Peaky Blinders. And so now having seen the first season, I think Netflix has four seasons on currently. Um, and I believe there's a fifth. I don't know much about that yet. Um, but having seen and finished the first season, I can wholeheartedly recommend that to anyone for any reason. Um, it was really just spectacular start to finish. It was really well written. It was incredibly well acted. It was well plotted. It was dramatic. It was suspenseful. And my wife and I, after the season finale, and you know, the season's only six episodes. They're each about an hour long. It's only six episodes. Uh, I think each season is only six episodes. And we were kind of clamoring for more. I mean, we have more seasons, but, like, man, I could have used more of that. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go next. I have some ideas now. Um, but following the finale, we just looked at each other and we're like, well, I didn't really expect any of that to happen. <laughs> like, it, it didn't really, it doesn't play out. There were a couple of plot points where I saw, I saw it coming, and I think I just had a moment of inspiration because she is usually the one that's all over that, and she's like, oh, oh, absolutely, you're right. That's going to happen, but it didn't occur to her. I'm like, oh, wow, I had an inspired thought for once. Go figure. Uh, it was so good. So good. We were both just sitting there, like, with these giddy smiles on our face after the, the credits rolled, and we're like, that was really good. Like, I can't really think of anything that I would pick apart on that. It was just so well done. And I mean, it just, you, you can, you can tell when there's a show where everybody involved in it is really into what they're doing, not just on screen, but behind the scenes as well. Like the direction was absolutely killer. There were so many shots throughout there where you're like, wow, that was a really inspired shot. That is really well done. That is really creative. Um, the, the music selection is fantastic. The art direction is great. My wife actually commented, she's like, whoever does the makeup for this show, for, for the show is spectacular. She's like, all these guys are clear, clearly wearing makeup, but you can't tell at all. I mean, it, it's a show that really, really looks very gross and dirty and rough around the edges, given the time period that it's in, you know, early 1900s in Birmingham, England. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's supposed to look like that. It was, it was true to the time and, um, it doesn't gloss over that. You know, it shows like, man, this is some hard living, uh, you know, post-World War One, this is tough, uh, and this is gross and, uh, this is how these people live. It's just, it was, 
very immersive. Uh, but the immersion itself would be cool, but kind of hollow if it didn't have such a really cool, compelling story and really interesting characters and really complex relationships between those characters as well. so And it really just hit the mark on all those things. And the great thing is that none of that really has to change going into season two, as far as I can tell. Things seem like they're on kind of an uptick, like, you know, it has... Uh, I'm not no spoilers or anything like that, but it, you know the, things end uh, very amicably in season one, and but now you're set up. You're like, mm, where's this going in season two? And I've got some ideas, but I'm curious to see. So I know I'm a little behind the curve. I know this is several years old at this point, but still, um, it's a show that I haven't heard a whole lot about. I'd heard the name, but I hadn't heard a whole lot of recommendations or ringing endorsements for it. So let me fill that void here and say the show is excellent. It is really, really excellent. Peaky Blinders, Netflix, check it out. Okay, that is all I got. I'm going to go hit some breakfast and go off to the gym. So uh, I thank you all for listening very much. Like I said, uh, go and uh, let, let me know your, your thoughts on what should be uh, a recurring segment. Uh, I am open to suggestions on that, and I would love to hear yours. So you've got the number, 865-518-2974. Hit me up via email, the website, Instagram, Facebook. You know how to find me. Uh, I hope everybody has a great weekend. I might be hosting some family staying here for the weekend. Wish me luck. Other than that, I have uh, just a little bit to do here and there, but it's going to be a good time overall. So I'll check in with you all. Uh, Monday is Labor Day, actually, and uh, I, I will be honest, I don't know what my plans are for Labor Day. I'm hoping I will be here, but if you don't hear from me, well, you know, it's a holiday, and I took the holiday off but i've got stuff i still want to talk about so we'll get to it i appreciate you all listening though and uh whether it's monday or friday next week we'll come back.